certainly been a, a busy week for special days. Uh, we started out with May 1st, which is May Day, uh, which happens to be Labor Day in Mexico. Then on May 2nd, we had the National Day of Prayer. Yesterday was Star Wars Day. May the 4th be with you, yes. It was also the Kentucky Derby, which by the way, I do need to clarify something. The horse did not cheat. The driver may have, the jockey, but the horse didn't cheat. I, I don't think the horse had any idea what it was doing. I do think it's ironic that the horse they're accusing of cheating is called maximum security. Um, just a little, little odd there to me. And then today, of course, Cinco de Mayo. Uh, I have to admit, I've never really paid much attention to Cinco de Mayo. Uh, I do appreciate the fact that you never have to wonder when it is. You know, when you name a holiday for the day, then it's always easy to remember when it is. But I guess in my mind, I thought Cinco de Mayo was uh, Independence Day in Mexico, much like our July the 4th. Uh, but I learned that that's not true. Their Independence Day is September 16th. Cinco de Mayo actually celebrates the victory of the Mexican army over the French in the Battle of Puebla in 1862. And this is probably the only church in town where you're going to get that information today. I, I just want you to know when you come here, you, you learn things. You, you get vital information. Um, and they have military ceremonies every year to mark that. Uh, in the United States, Cinco de Mayo has become a celebration of Mexican culture. Uh, People will wear the traditional dress and eat traditional Mexican food and, and music, much like we heard earlier. Uh, it's a time to be celebrated with fiesta, which means party. I like that word, fiesta. Anything that involves fiesta, I like. And so I decided to look in the scripture and find out what causes fiesta among God and his people. And I found that in Luke 15, there are three stories. They're all stories about things that were lost and things that were found. And each time, the story ends the same way. With fiesta. In the first story, a man has a hundred sheep, which in those days, that's a lot of sheep. You were considered a pretty wealthy man if you had a hundred sheep. But over the, over the course of taking the sheep out to pasture and bringing the sheep back into the, to the pen, one of them wandered off and got lost. It had been a long day, a full day, and you might think that the shepherd would consider that an acceptable loss. Well, I've got 99. Uh, we'll hope that one finds its way back. If not, I'll just lose it. But no, he doesn't do that. 
He places so much value on each individual sheep that he leaves the 99 at the pen and he goes out and searches for the lost one. He doesn't just look a little bit. He doesn't just go a short distance. The indication is that the man went to great lengths to find his lost sheep. And when he did, he returned home, and the scripture says he called together his friends and neighbors with the invitation, rejoice with me. In other words, they were going to have a fiesta. There was a woman who had ten coins. And each coin was worth about a day's wages. So ten days worth of income. And she lost one. Probably fell down in the couch cushions. You know. And you might think that she would say, well, you know, I'll find it sometime. We'll come across it. Or she might have gone to church that Sunday and say, sorry, I don't have any offering. That was my tithe. You know, that was the one-tenth that was lost. Now, the Bible says that she valued that coin so much that she lit her lamp. It's at night. And she swept and looked and, and went everywhere till she found that coin. And when she did, she called her friends and neighbors together with the invitation, rejoice with me. Which means they had a fiesta. You caught on good. All right. <laughs> then there's a story of a man who had two sons. And he lost one. Because his youngest son decided he didn't want to do chores anymore. He wanted to go out and see the world, experience the world. So he asked dad for his share of the inheritance and he took off. And the father didn't know if he would ever see his son again. But did he throw up his hands and say, oh well. He made the choice. Now it said that that father watched and waited for his son to return. He never gave up on him. He never would accept that his son was lost. And one day, his watching and his waiting bears fruit because he looks out from his front porch and looks down the road and sees a solitary figure off in the distance. Can't tell who it is. But his hopes begin to rise. And as the figure draws closer and closer, he can't stand it anymore. I think it's my boy. And he takes off. And I'm told that in the Middle Eastern culture of that day, that for a man to run and allow his robe to kind of fly up was uh, inappropriate. It's just not something a distinguished person would do. But he didn't care. He ran to the boy. And when the boy tried to... Uh, 
tell him, you know, he was sorry and he wasn't worthy anymore and he should just treat him like a servant. The father just said, I have nothing to do with that. Instead, he said, let's have a feast and celebrate. In other words, he told his family, let's have a fiesta. <laughs> Three stories of something lost and something found resulting in three fiestas. Why did Jesus tell those stories? See, anytime you read one of the stories of Jesus, you read one of the parables, you need to ask yourself, why did he tell that story? Because Jesus wasn't into just telling tales. He wasn't about entertaining or amusing people with stories. When Jesus told a story... It always had a point. And it was always meant to teach us something. And so the question is, what did he want to teach us with these three stories of something lost, something found, all leading to fiesta? Well, we find the answer in the first two verses of Luke 15. I want to read those. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then verse 3 says, then Jesus told them this parable, this story. And he went into the three stories. It seems that Jesus was popular with unpopular people. The ones they called tax collectors and sinners. You know, when I was younger, I used to wonder, why did they separate out tax collectors? Aren't tax collectors considered sinners? Yeah. So why don't they just say sinners? But see, tax collectors were like the worst of the sinners. You had your lower level sinners, and then you had your great big high level sinners. Tax collectors were high level sinners. So they got special mention. He ate with tax collectors and sinners. In, in the minds of the religious leaders of his day, that was wrong. Good people are supposed to associate with good people. Righteous people with righteous people. Religious people with religious people. And all of you should shun bad people. You should have nothing to do with them. So Jesus claimed to be righteous, but yet he's associating with the bad. And they criticized him for that. And in response to their criticism, because it wasn't just they were criticizing him, he had a group of people he was teaching, and he knew that their criticism uh, needed to be addressed for the understanding of the people who were listening to him, just like it needs to be for us today. So he told three stories to teach us three things about God. The first thing is that God loves all people. God loves all people. Now we know that. If I ask you, does God love all people? You'd say yes. 
But then in your mind, you start thinking, but I'm not sure about this one. <laughs> I'm not sure about that one. I really don't think he loves that one. You know, in Matthew 9, Jesus was criticized again for associating with sinners. And he said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. In other words, Jesus' mission was to seek the lost and find them. Those who are lost to God because of their sin. Those who feel like God no longer would want them or love them because of their sin. Those who are lost to God. Those who are far from God. I like the way uh, our neighbor down the street, Central Wesleyan Church, their mission statement. They say that the purpose of their church is to reach the least, the lost, the last, the left out, and the looked over. Isn't that good? Wish I'd have thought of that. I told him I was going to steal it this morning. He said it was okay. The least, the lost, the last, the left out, and the looked over. Because isn't that what Jesus did? He said, I didn't come to call the righteous, the good, the religious. I came to call sinners. Those who are lost to God. So we can find them again. If God loves all people and sent Jesus to demonstrate his love for all people, then we must do the same. There are people that are hard to love. Because there are people that aren't very loving. But God loves them. And even though we may not have love for them, we need to show them the love of God. And that's an important distinction. We get hung up on the emotion sometime. Well, I just can't love that person. I have no feelings at all for that person. And the ones I do have are bad. And so we think we can't show them love because we don't have on an emotional level any love to give them. Uh, this has nothing to do with emotions. It has to do with understanding how God feels about them and how God treats them and say, I am going to do that too. I don't feel like it. I may not want to. I may think it's unfair that I have to treat them that way, but I am going to because that's what Jesus did. In the letter of 1 Peter, it says that Jesus was treated harshly and badly and he was mocked and he was beaten. He was crucified, but he didn't respond with any anger or any aggression or any resentment. He only responded with love. We need to do the same. So we learn from those stories that God loves all people and he has a special place in his heart for lost people, those who are lost to him. The second thing is that it's God's will that we seek the lost. In Luke 19, Jesus encountered one of those high-class sinners named Zacchaeus. 
And when he stopped under the tree where Zacchaeus was, he said, come down so I can lecture you and rebuke you for your sinfulness. No. No, he said, come down for I'm going to your house today. I'm hungry. You got any food? Jesus invited himself over for dinner. And the religious leaders are all there. Well, <laughs> he's, he's, he's going to a tax collector's house. He, he's going to eat with him. That's terrible. That's scandalous. And that whole story ends with Luke saying that the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. You want a mission statement for Jesus? That's it. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. And I want you to especially key in on that word seek. Because that tells you how Jesus went about his ministry. When he got baptized by John, he didn't immediately go to the temple and set up a little booth and say, now people can come to me. If people want to hear about God and know the love of God and experience the presence of God, I'm going to sit here in my booth and they can come to me. It's not what Jesus did. He spent his entire ministry traveling up and down Galilee, to Judea, back to Galilee, back to Judea, and Samaria was in the middle, so he went through there too. He was seeking the lost. See, that word seek means to go in search of. You're not seeking if you're sitting here saying, you know, I lost something. Maybe if I just stand here, it will show up. Has that ever worked? If you lose something at home and you go, I'll just sit here in my chair and it will appear. Well, I, I was going to say, the only way that works is if I complain enough and then Sue says, all right, here, I found it. And then she gets it and hands it to me. So there are times where something lost appears. But, uh, you know, if you want to find something you lost, you have to go and seek it. And that's what Jesus did. He went into homes where other people wouldn't go. He sat at table where other people wouldn't sit. And that's why people listened to him. If nothing else, they were curious. Why are you doing this? Don't you think Zacchaeus was blown away when Jesus said, come down, I'm going to your house today? He had to be saying, why would he do that? Does he not know who I am? Maybe he doesn't know I'm a tax collector. Maybe he just heard I'm a good cook. No, Jesus knew exactly who he was. And he had to be blown away that Jesus wanted to go to his house. And we have to do the same. We have to seek those who are lost. Now, we can't seek and save because I can't save. And you can't either. But we can seek them. And then when we find them, we introduce them to Jesus.
and he can save them. You know, we cannot be satisfied just sitting around in our churches waiting for the lost to come to us. Jesus didn't do it, and we can't either. There are a few people who will find their way into the church and find their way to God, but they're not many. And for everyone that finds their way here, there's a hundred more that won't. If we want to find them, we have to seek them. We can't leave witnessing to the preachers. Because here's the thing, I can't witness for you. I can't give your testimony. The, the nature of a testimony is that it's your story. It's what Jesus has done in your life for you. I can't give that story. At least not very effectively. I can say, well, I know a guy that Jesus did this thing for in his life. And you may say, well, that's nice. But if I'm the guy and I say, look, here's where I was. Here's what was happening. Here's why I am now. And the difference is Jesus. Remember the crazy guy that lived in the, in the graveyard that Jesus encountered? He was possessed by demons. And it said his family tried to take him home and clean him up, and he'd just run back out there. And Jesus healed him. Jesus put him in his right mind again. And then when he wanted to go with Jesus, he said, let me go join your ministry. He said, no, no, you stay here and have your own. Go and tell what the Lord has done for you. See, that's the essence of this thing we call a witness. We, we've never really been very good at wrapping our minds around this idea of evangelism and witnessing. We get pretty uptight about it. We get pretty anxious about the idea that I'm supposed to talk to somebody about something as personal as faith. But if we don't do it, who will? I can't witness to them unless they come in here. And I already told you that doesn't happen very often. So let me give you three things you can do. The first one is wow. I tried to make this real memorable, real easy to remember. Wow. Which stands for witness of the word. When you came in this morning, you may or may not have noticed there is a table piled full of these. This is called the life book. It's the gospel of Mark uh, written in a very uh, understandable, easy to read uh, manner. And it's got little notes on the side so it looks like somebody's been reading it and writing little notes like you might do in your Bible. And the gospel of Mark is the easiest of the four gospels to read. And it's a great introduction to the person of Jesus. If you have someone who knows very little about Jesus, I always tell them to start with the Gospel of Mark. Don't start with John. John's pretty heavy. John's got lots of theology and teaching, and they'll get lost. Start with Mark. Mark is mostly about this is who he was, this is what he did. And the Gideons put these out, and, and we've got several hundred of them. And I want you to use this as a tool to witness. Uh, as you leave today, if you know somebody that you'd like to share Christ with, if you know somebody where you work or at school, uh, you can give these out at school. 
You probably can't walk around handing out Bibles, but you can give out life books. And just give it to them. And say, when you get a chance, look at this. Might make a difference in your life. That's about as simple as witness gets. And then hopefully they will, and they'll come back and say, you know, I read some of that little book you gave me. And I've got a few questions. Great. Let's sit down and talk about it. So when you leave, you can take as many as you want. Because we've got those on the table, and if you take those, I've got more. We got wow, witness of the word. We have ark. A-R-K. Ark, as in Noah's ark. And that stands for acts of random kindness. Some people say random acts of kindness, but then you got rack. See, and that, uh, that, not, that doesn't work as well for me. So it's acts of random kindness, arc. I actually stole that from the movie Evan Almighty. Have you seen that movie? Evan? It's kind of a follow-up to Bruce Almighty. He was talking to Evan about how you change the world. He's like, how can I change the world? I'm one person in one place. How can I change the world? And God tells him, you change the world one act of random kindness at a time. And he told him to build an ark. Don't ever underestimate the power of small things done in kind ways to impact the lives of people. Sometimes that's all it takes to open the door for people to think about and to turn toward God. So we have the witness of the word, wow. You have acts of random kindness, ark. And the third way to go about sharing your faith is mop. Mop. Ministry of presence. And I don't mean presence as in here's a gift. But presence as in You're here, I'm here with you. Some of the most powerful witnessing that's ever been done did not involve a great exchange of words or conversation. But somebody who's going through a tough time, a hard time, and you as a Christian just come alongside them. Out of the love of God, you say, I'm gonna gonna be here for you. I'm gonna be here with you. I'm gonna help you through this. You may not ever talk about Jesus, but you are displaying Jesus to them. And don't ever underestimate the power of the ministry of presence when someone's in need. Three simple ways that you can make a difference in the life of someone by simply doing what Jesus did to seek those who are lost, and introduce them to him. Now, I told you there were three things we learned from the three stories. We learned that God loves all people and that God desires for us to seek lost people. The third thing we learn is God's response when lost people are found. You know what that is? Fiesta! Each of those stories 
ends by Jesus saying, and so it is in the kingdom of heaven. Over one lost person who is found, the angels in heaven rejoice. They throw a party. They celebrate. They fiesta. Because the whole purpose of this thing we call Christianity is simply to find lost people and bring them back to God. May we join Jesus in that mission and cause fiestas in heaven. Let's pray. God, I'm so grateful that you give us these stories, that the stories of Jesus have been preserved for us in the pages of your word. I pray that we will understand the importance of causing fiestas in heaven. That the greatest thing we can do in this earth is not uh, earn a lot of money. It's not win a lot of awards and achievements. It's not get noticed and famous by other people. The greatest thing that can happen in this world is for us to cause fiestas in heaven. To know that because of simple things like handing out a little book with scripture in it or showing an act of kindness to somebody or simply being present with somebody in a time of need that the end result could be fiesta in heaven. Lord, I pray that we would follow in the footsteps of Jesus to seek and to save the lost. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I think heaven's ready for a fiesta today. And there might be someone here this morning who's going to cause it. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you're ready to give your heart to him, to receive him, to allow him to find you for God and bring you home to a relationship with God, that would cause a fiesta. We might even do a little shouting here ourselves. During this time of invitation, we're going to stand and sing a hymn. And while we're doing that, if, if you're ready to receive Christ, just come on down here. Let me receive you. Let me pray with you. Let me lead you in a simple statement of faith that says, I believe in Jesus and I accept him as my Lord. And if you do that, the angels in heaven will not only fiesta, but they will be looking down at you and saying, welcome home. Let's stand together. Hymn number 258, verses 1 and 4.